Welcome to Shareholder Q&A, our production of Gorecom, in which we allow shareholders to post their questions online, to have CEOs answer them. With us today, happy to have him back, because it's always an amazing conversation. Steve McCauley, CEO of Empire Clinics, trades in Canada under CBDT, for friends in the US, EPWCF, and for friends in Europe on Frankfurt under AEC. As you know, typically when it's beyond the press release, another kind of interview, I'll do an intro so that people can understand what the company's doing, but this is shareholder Q&A, so we know it's a lot more the current shareholders going to be watching, so we're going to jump right into it. Steve, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, George. Good to be back on the show. How are you? Uh, excellent. Glad to have you back, because whenever you're on, we've, we've always got great stuff to talk about, my friend. And before we, we get into the shareholder Q&A... I'm not going to turn this into a beyond the press release, but the fact of the matter is you had three big press releases recently. The partnership with Sarah's, uh, Carolyn Shields being uh, the uh, senior VP of operations, and the announcement of Anthony Tomasello onto the board, which I'm yeah. really excited about. I'm excited about all three of those, but I love that. Let's just do a little brief talk about each one of those. The partnership with Sarah's, first of all. Uh, man, how big is that? What do shareholders need to understand about how big this is from a number you know, from a numbers point of view and how big it is from a validation point of view? Yeah, it's it's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, you know, we've been working on this uh, since December of 2020, you know, going on 15 months. And, you know, it started uh, back at that time with the anticipation of the cruise ship season reopening last year in 2021. And then the federal announcements came through. And of course, you know, it, it got shut down again. So we kind of fast forward a year and it, it's back on the table. But we we maintained an ongoing working relationship with the management at Sarah's Terminals, always kind of nurturing, getting updates about what was happening. And then as kind of fourth quarter came along, get into December, uh, the cruise lines are starting to activate again and, and Transport Canada federally is, you know, made no indications that, you know, the season was not going to get going. And we come into the new year and, and it's on, it's fully on. And the cruise lines are now incredibly engaged and they're incredibly engaged with us directly. So we have this really interesting relationship that you've got Sarah's that manages the Port of Vancouver, you know, British Columbia Crown Corporation. You've got the cruise lines themselves. Some of them are smaller, but some of them are huge, you know, and you think of the likes of Disney and Norwegian and uh, Royal Caribbean. And this is all about servicing the what looks like 1.2 million passengers over a six month season, uh, which is primarily Vancouver to Alaska. There's some Vancouver to Hawaii, but um, those are you know, a smaller percentage of the <clears throat> what you know, it's going to be in excess of 300 ships uh, coming into port in Vancouver. And what are we going to be doing? Because this isn't, this isn't just multi, this isn't a single facet here. It seems this, this is multifaceted and they're it, it really going to be is. relying on power, right? What are we, what are we going to be doing for them? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why, you know, we made really what I believe the ideal partner for this is, you know, one where, you know, Vancouver based, you know, public company and more importantly, public healthcare company. So we really presented ourselves nicely with the ability to provide overall healthcare management services and logistics that includes testing, but it also includes screening. It also includes the provision of medical services. Uh, Cause imagine if you have 
you know, a, a traveler who maybe fails pre-screening, uh, perhaps a traveler tests positive on one of the tests that are required, uh, you have to start to deal with immediate quarantining of them and their cohort, whatever that might be. And up to and including, you know, full medical access and perhaps transportation to emergency services at one of the local hospitals. So it's not just about, hey, we're going to be providing, you know, rapid antigen tests or PCR tests. It's far more comprehensive than that. And so I think, again, with our testing capability, our healthcare management capability, it's, it's why we, you know, announced just a short while ago, uh, our BC uh, medical director, Dr. Tyler Kupal, you know, this was all a, an important pre-step to make sure that when we get the MOU completed with Ceres, we can be in a position to get accredited in the province of British Columbia, because British Columbia is regulated by the College of Physicians and Surgeons uh, for testing services. So you can't just show up and start testing. You have to be accredited by, uh, by the committee. It's called a DAP accreditation. And one of the main prerequisites is you have to have a uh, local you know, medical director who has to be a medical doctor. And so that's where you know, Dr. Kupal uh, came into play for us. So and by the way, I want to talk about that in a, in a bit, how <laughs> when you did announce him, people thought, why is this being announced, right? But they, they just don't realize that this is a, a chess move being made by you and empowered that's necessary for something for something bigger. We'll talk about that when it comes to Tomasello and Carolyn. I want to finish sure. off Sarah's with this though. Um, some people have, some investors have expressed concern that since the announcement, we've heard that governments are dropping are, are dropping or going to be dropping mandates. And there's concern that, well, there's goes 15 months of negotiations down the drain because you know Sarah's and the and the cruise ships aren't going to need this anymore. It's not going to be mandated. What's the response there? Well, you know we're not worried about that at all. Um, we know what the mandates are, but one of the things to keep in mind is that a number of the cruise lines um, will they create their own standards. <clears throat> so they, especially the big guys, so they choose to um, have a higher standard of. Uh, testing requirements, screening requirements, protocols. So as an example, um, some of the conversations that we're having, and these are one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with the cruise lines themselves, and wow. really getting, they want to talk to us to understand our capabilities and, the, and the, our ability to deliver. Um, they're typically not familiar with kind of the Canadian landscape from a regulatory standpoint, testing requirements, policies, procedures. So they're going to rely upon an organization like ours who has tremendous experience both in Canada and in the US. You know, we understand both of those regulatory markets or frameworks. So when we talk to them, I can talk to them about our experience and capabilities with the FDA EUA status and then translate that into the Health Canada version to help articulate and explain um, that some things are similar, but some things are distinctly Canadian and uh, that they have to be aware of. So what we're seeing and what we're hearing in our conversations is it's going to range up until some of the cruise ships are going to demand or require 100% of all embarking, so onboarding passengers to get tested the day of travel. Whether American or Canadian, they want them One, tested. One hundred percent of the passengers, uh, and uh, that will you'll likely play out to be a rapid antigen test based on kind of the recent announcements with with Canada. 
the other thing that will take place with uh, many or most of them is they're going to require crew testing. And as you may be aware, right. you know, there are many hundreds, in some case, thousands of crew members per ship, and they will need to be tested multiple times per week, depending on the policies of the individual cruise line. The other important factor to keep in mind is something that probably little known or people maybe don't think about. 70% of these 1.2 million estimated travelers for the cruise season are US people, US based people. They will all require a day of uh, rapid antigen test when they come back and they disembark because they need to get back on their flight to get back home to the United States. So we will also make that service available to all of those travelers. Now, in most cases, uh, it's likely going to be falling out that, you know, travelers will be the ones who will be paying for um, the test itself. Some of the cruise lines have indicated that they will likely include the cost, at least for the day of embarkment testing, but they certainly won't provide coverage for any optional return testing. But we know it's not optional. The, you know, these travelers, they have to get a test somewhere, so they may as well get it from us the moment that they disembark from the oh, ship. Oh yeah, they're not going to get off the, uh, look, practically speaking, I've been, I've been to uh, Vegas and California and a bunch of places and you're scrambling, looking around the wandering the streets, looking for a place that yeah. they're not going to do that. Right. If I, if I'm no, on that cruise ship no. and you're right there, 99% chance, I'm going to say, Hey guys, give me, hit me with a test. Yeah. I know it's you nice. can't give us numbers. Right. I know you can't give us projections or anything like that, but you're talking about 1.2 million passengers. You're talking about all those crew. Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about getting on and someone they're getting off. See, are the you know are the numbers as big as I think they're going to be here? Uh, yeah, if in terms of it, in terms of revenues for the company, how look, is this is this game changer revenues? Like, is this wow we've never seen before revenues? Yeah, of course it is. You, you know the the capacity models that we're looking at. You know, we we have uh, all the draft schedules for the entire you know season, and it's it's subject to change uh, here or there, but directionally. You know, it appears that it, there's going to be you know a lot of you know tourists coming um, for these uh, cruise ships, sure. and you know what we see in other markets. So if you take you know U.S. markets, you know we're seeing you know price points in and around hundred dollars U.S. Uh, sometimes one hundred and twenty-five. We've seen one hundred and fifty dollars U.S. for uh, for secondary PCR tests, and uh, and this is not sort of you know, me guessing, you know, this is uh, like, as an example, myself and uh, some other team members went down to the port of Long Beach uh, in the fourth quarter to witness um, a, that's a Sarah's run terminal. So we went down to watch the processing of a big uh, carnival cruise line. So we could see, you know, 4,000 passengers arrive and disembark and 4,000 passengers, you know, embark and watch the entire um, screening and testing process take place. Uh, and, and again, we're looking at the material, sharing the information with Sarah's and, and back and forth. And this is kind of the market. And, you know, with most of these cruise lines being US or international based, they kind of have a basis of what to expect <clears throat> would be sort of the sunk cost of these yeah, testing. I think I think There's everyone kind of knows it's somewhere in that 100 150 range. Yeah, I was in exactly. California in December, 
and uh, right there, $125 to, for me to get a PCR test back then. So I think- Yeah, you know, and you know, we, uh, we absolutely are going to have overhead and labor costs uh, to consider. And, and that's where, you know, these price points come from. You know, we, we know that the actual test itself doesn't cost that price, but the overall administration of the overall healthcare services um, have operating costs that come with it. And those costs need to be covered. Do you think at some point, given, look, I'm not saying any numbers here, but I guarantee you, I just doing, I just wrote some notes. I guarantee everyone who's watching, listen to this, is doing back of the napkin math. And I think we're all coming up with some pretty astronomical numbers. Yeah. Do you think at some point it may be valuable when you have a much better idea uh, of, of what the season's going to look like and, and you've determined your price points and overheads and all that, that it may be valuable to uh, come out with uh, some kind of uh, projection or some kind of guidance as to how big this could be? Because it's the... The, its materiality is just monstrous to the company. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, the concept of, you know, providing that guidance is, is probably going to be a bit difficult for us to do. Uh, but what we certainly, you know, will be able to bring to everybody's attention is the, the price points are going to be published services, right? You'll be, you know, able to go on to any of the particular cruise lines who will be participating. And, and that's public information right now. I mean, you, uh, you can go to the Port of Vancouver website and you can see the draft schedule right now for the cruise season. So you can see whether it's Disney or Norwegian or Princess or Carnival or whatever, you know, Royal Caribbean, they're all listed. And so, you know, these, these ships range from, you know, very large, large ones to medium to a few boutique sort of smaller ones. But you know, the volume is, is significant. So if Could everybody wants to million, either way, no, yeah, yeah. Slice would be 1.2 million. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know whether it ends up being 1.25 or 1.15, you know, it's, it's in and around that range based yeah, on yeah. current, you know, forecasts and those forecasts are coming from the cruise lines themselves. Of course, right. Of course. Um, this is not sort of the other way around. Like we're trying to, you know, engineer a count or a number we're, we're just receiving data so that we can do our well, capacity planning. Yeah, they're giving you the numbers for that reason, saying, hey, guys, uh, just in case, just under th these are going to be our numbers. Be ready for this. Well, that's <laughs> I don't it. need you guys guessing, right? So, and I would yeah. think, and we'll move on to Tomasello, but I would think, Steve, that pent-up demand means those ships are going to be pretty full. Those cruise ships are going to be pretty full for that Vancouver, Alaska run that people have not been able to do for a couple of years now. So that's yeah, uh, that's you're awesome. so right. I mean, we you know we've been talking to you know the hospitality and the hotel and tourism industry you know for quite some time. We're we're kind of deeply connected in, in Vancouver um, with that industry, and <clears throat> there's a great deal of optimism with the hoteliers and the restaurateurs. Um, the the feedback is it's going to be a little bit easier to get into Canada now for you know U.S. travelers. So there's optimism that, you know, that sort of, you know, demand is going to sort of come back into the city and the province. And we know that the cruise line industry, you know, is just such a big draw. Um, and it's, it's historic. I mean, the, you know, that, that demand has been, you know, uh, uh, in, in the port of Vancouver and, and, you know, for many, many, many years, it's not new, right? So if you look back to historic demand, um, everybody seems quite optimistic from a, a cruise line perspective. So we're all just gearing up, right, for, for the logistics and the volume. Um, we are having multiple... By the way, multiple, Steve, Devil's Advocate, are you guys factors. ready for this volume? I mean, this is massive. 
how confident are you as and the shareholders probably thinking that saying, okay, this is great, but are we ready for it? And I got to ask yeah. you, I mean, you know, how, well, how on a scale of one to 10, how comfortable you feel right now that you're going to be able to, that you'll be ready. Oh, I, I feel like we're going to be ready. I'm not, I'm not doubting that. Um, it does phase in. Uh, the first sailings are in uh, April. There's not a lot of them in April. Uh, there's one small one in, in early April, and then it starts up in sort of late April. So we've got a little bit of time to ramp up. Um, right. We're developing all of our SOPs right now, our capacity modeling. We work very closely with Ceres, who are very experienced at managing the you know, large facilities and the port. And uh, so you know, we're all leaning on each other. You know, the cruise lines are leaning on us. We're leaning on the cruise lines. We, we are very activated directly with the cruise lines themselves, which for me is, is great. So whether it's, you know, my chief of staff and biz dev, our, our CFO and others, um, you know, Dr. Kupal, you know, they're all working directly with the cruise lines now to understand exactly what their expectations are and making sure that we can meet those expectations. And, you know, I think in most cases, it'll sort of run through the, the uh, agreements with, uh, with Sarah's, but in some cases it's looking like we might um, actually do direct contracts with uh, the, some of the big cruise lines. Wow. So we're we're going to see how that plays out, but one way or the other, you, you know, the, the service still will be provided and the passengers of those cruise lines will access those services. And I'm glad to hear that's going to be a soft launch kind of ramp yeah. up. That's great. Yeah. Rather than come April 15th, four cruise ships are coming in in one week. You're going to have a soft, because look, even restaurants when they open do soft launch ramp up. So yeah. that's awesome. So great. Yeah. Can't wait to hear more about that. Cause it's not, and I'm glad you kind of alleviated some of the concerns of investors there who thought that, Oh, well, you know, now with mandates uh, going away, this is, this is all for not. So awesome, Steve. Let's no, go. no, it's not. I mean, I, I certainly understand that George understand the position and you know, I, I just want people to, to, you know, recognize you know, we're under non-disclosures with Sarah's. We're under non-disclosures with the cruise lines directly. You know, there's just some things that I can't talk about in advance. And, you know, we just have to be respectful and professional and careful. Uh, but, you know, please know that we would not go down this path if we didn't have a forecast that these testing requirements are going to be in place. And uh, so, you know, we'll, we're going to continue on, you know, on our path right now. Um, and we'll we'll figure out you know what parts of it we do ourselves, what parts we you know bring in different partners with because there's technology pieces um, that you know we've got a great partner in Phoebe um, who's done some great uh, tech development for us and we've used it you know in in recent um, you know conventions that we've run testing uh, programs for and health services for you know very effective technology platforms uh, and we've got great integrations and APIs already in place with Phoebe so. You know, we've we've got a lot of I'll I'll call it you know a lot of our bases are covered already. Again, as we've been explaining along the way, is Saris really has viewed us as just the ideal healthcare partner because this is not just about one facet. You know, doing you know administering a rapid antigen test. It's far broader than that, and we just happen to have the the scope and capability to deliver. Well, since you mentioned Foby, just really quickly, because I don't want to, I don't want to go down a technology yeah. wormhole there. But I'm yeah. assuming the partnership with Foby will be you're considering or planning on delivering results to George, who comes off needs needs to know his results through a digital wallet. 
Yeah, or so SMS we, we, or some kind of solution. Yeah, well, there, there has to be a delivery of, of a result and the result needs to be at a minimum, a digital version. Some of the cruise lines we've seen, in, again, in some of our experiences down south, they have a paper version supported by a digital version. So at a minimum, there has to be a digital delivery and confirmation of the test result. Um, what we're working through right now, again, with different of the cruise lines is to what extent do they have a unique requirement um, or to what extent would they be satisfied with the delivery methods that we already have in place? So more to come on that topic, but we know we've got you know, great partnerships uh, with, with groups like FOBI um, who have tremendous capability to you know, deliver to deliver this. I mean, they, they already know, they already can do it. Let's put it that way. So, and we already have our, our tech APIs in place with them. So, you know, more to come on that. We'll keep everybody posted along awesome. um, on that sort of progress. Next up. So we've yeah. mentioned uh, the BC medical director a couple of times in conversation. And again, people thought, well, who cares? But they didn't realize that was a precursor to the partnership with Sarah's. So yeah. you don't, you don't just make random announcements uh, just for the sake of putting out announcements, there are chess moves being made. And the one I have to ask you about there too, but the one you know that just came out is the appointment of NASDAQ healthcare executive, uh, Anthony Tomasello to the yeah. board. And I wish I could go through his credentials right now, but there are so many, I'm going to tell everybody uh, to go through it because there are three paragraphs. I don't want to bore everybody, but Yep. Most importantly, he was executive VP and chief and CTO of Stericycle, a NASDAQ company uh, that he started with at its infancy when they said $200,000 in startup capital. And yep. it's grown to $2 billion in sales, $12 billion enterprise value, 14,000 full-time employees. What's this guy doing at Empower? Well, um, we are just uh, so incredibly fortunate, uh, you know, uh, I was introduced to Tony uh, in, uh, boy, I guess it was early November last year. And we hit it off tremendously at that time. Um, we ended up having a number of immediate follow-up private one-on-one -on -one sessions. And, you know, I have been honored to even have those conversations. I mean, uh, Tony is a powerhouse and he is a, he's a healthcare powerhouse. He's a NASDAQ powerhouse. He knows the investment banking community in New York like you wouldn't believe. And he carries tremendous cachet. And, you know, I've talked about it for really quite a long time is that we have a vision and a plan that we should be entitled to, when the time is right, to be able to uplist to a bigger market. And, uh, but I've also said that we can't just show up and then figure out how to be a NASDAQ listed company, right? We have to start becoming a NASDAQ listed company way before that takes place. And that's why, uh, you know, the appointment of Jennifer Archibald, who's done it before for NASDAQ listed uh, biopharma or tech, you know, uh, pharmaceutical type uh, companies. Um, it's why we've, you know, made the moves with the Medi Collective, and we'll talk more about that. So as I spent more time getting to know Tony, and more importantly, him getting to know us, you know, um, basically, I was, you know, being interviewed by him, um, you know, not the other way around. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you were definitely auditioning for him. Yeah, so we, we were you definitely, not auditioning I, for Empower, not a powerhouse yeah. like this, that's for sure. And I recognize that. Sure. And, and, you know, very respectfully, you know, we had 
such good conversations. Um, he's a, a, a very warm, incredibly intelligent, you know, very successful gentleman, but by no means uh, is he soft. He is tough as nails. Um, he will bring discipline, uh, added experience. It will help us with independence. It will help us with our uh, charters and our, our various committees that you know, we need. And we have to expand our board. We know that. And so uh, we've been a bit patient. Um, and just, again, as I, as I got to know Tony, um, I felt at one point it was now appropriate to make that request of him. And he, he jumped at it. It was not even a hesitation. And uh, so I feel honored, frankly, uh, on behalf of our company and behalf of our shareholders um, that we can attract uh, such incredible, you know, capability and talent and again, experience and cachet. And, you know, I, for one, am looking forward to uh, the mentorship that he can provide all of us and uh, leadership and, and frankly, you know, independence, uh, which is a, a really critical factor um, for any public company, especially one with, uh, you know, uh, ambitions of, of uplisting. And, and from my experience, I'll just add in two cents, and other people probably realize this, but not everyone does. Someone like Mr. Tomasello probably gets offers to oh. join boards every week of his life, and will continue to get those. Hey, Anthem, George Com Healthcare, we're a great startup. I see you've grown a startup to 12 to $2 billion in revenue. We'd like you to join our board or bigger companies that are looking to expand M&A. So the fact that he accepted, because you know he's, he's a human, he's got a finite amount of time yes. uh, in a day. So he's got to pick and choose his, uh, his board appointments. Man, we got to have him on here because I don't want you to put words in his mouth, but we got to have him on here to say, what does he see about, about Empower? But I think what you can answer is, this is a chess move again because of NASDAQ and U.S. expansion. It is. We, again, had a, a real primary focus on getting the, you know, the brand of the Medi Collective live, focusing on Canada with the Ontario market first. But as I've stated before, uh, I'd always intended on turning our attention back to U.S. markets uh, when the time was right. So, Again, you know, the conversations that we had with Tony in the fourth quarter, you know, there was a lot of validation uh, that we received from him. Um, he really believed uh, in the healthcare model that we are developing. Uh, so it, it gave me, you know, a lot of comfort uh, and, and frankly reassurance that, yep. you know, some of the things that we've been doing are right. And, you know, it all takes time to put together. You know, everybody wants it to go faster all the time. You know, we get that. But you know, we still are trying to build a great company here that's got strength and capability for the long term and uh, doing it in the right way. And we've been plugging gaps in personnel that I've, I've said all along that we have and we recognize it. We just keep on getting better and getting better and getting better, you know, all the way along. So this is just another, um, another move for us. Um, and we're just frankly so honored um, to have Tony join us um, at the board of directors. And I can't wait for you know him to really you know lean in and put his input and make impact uh, to our board, which ultimately impacts our company, our direction, and the long-term value for our shareholders. Well, when you said that he's got incredible 
connections in the investment banking world. Yeah. Uh, again, you you know this even better than I do, but when there's an individual out there who is part of the infant stage of a company, $200,000 startup funding and yeah. grow to these levels, pretty much every investment banker in the world is going to bet on him and his team again, individually or together. But if Anthony picks up the phone and says, Hey guys, I've got something for you. He's going to get, he's, he's going to get an immediate meeting. So I'm assuming that's going to be a really big part of his appointment when the time comes for empower. Yeah, it is. It is. That's exactly what we're going to be so fortunate to be able to leverage. Uh, but again, there are many facets, uh, you know, to this. So, um, you know, more to come uh, on the topic, uh, you know, sort of, you know, it's announced now, again, as you said, people can look at the profile and the bio and, wow. um, and, and just be assured that this is a, um, a very positive step forward for our, our company and our future. And then Carolyn Shield, Senior Vice President of, of Operations of the Healthcare Clinics. Yes. Um, talk about the chess move there. Again, fantastic pedigree, 22 years of biz dev in one of Canada's largest multi-special medical groups amazing success there everyone can read her profile as well what's a chess move what, uh, on on her appointment yeah so you know we started thinking about you know long term you know growth strategy and and how to be most effective organizationally with the resources that we have the talent that we have um, or in some cases the gaps that we have and uh, you know again at, for us to continue to grow rapidly in the right way, we need dedicated focus on what we'll call either business development or we'll call it mergers and acquisition work, right? Sometimes, you know, those terminologies are interchangeable. Now, we've all been developing our, our, our pipeline, whether it's myself or my chief of staff, Tenzin, or it's, uh, you know, Jordan and Aviv with, with their connections. Uh, we've got a really healthy deal pipeline. But I felt that we're going to reach, we're going to run into problems operationally where, you know, people are just reaching their capacity and things start to slip through the cracks. And that could be deals get missed or delayed. Um, operations within the Medi Collective oh, are me. not optimized. Um, you, you start to have service level issues or you have, you know, labor issues or staff issues or, or you know, whatever issues may come that come with scale. So as we talked about it internally, you know, back in early fourth quarter, we started to formulate this. So what, what could this look like? So we, we had some conversations with, uh, with Jordan and Aviv together, very constructive, and really talked about, you know, their futures and where they see, you know, their skill sets developing. And, and they've really matured, you know, since they've joined us. They've become, they've done a great job at creating the brand of the Medi Collective and getting clinics opened. And uh, even in spite of COVID delays, you know, we're, we're still operational and we're seeing many, many, many tens of thousands of patients, right? So we thought, you know, if, if we were to, be, if we had the ability to pull them out of that day-to-day -day work um, running the Medi Collective, could they be more effective at dealing with sourcing and delivering new growth opportunities, but also integrating sure. those opportunities. And this is where there's two roles here. They, they, they kind of work hand in glove, but they're very 
quite specific or independent functions. And the other thing that I needed to have going forward is to make sure that within our divisions, we are working with each of the strengths and capabilities of our own divisions as effective as possible. So as an example, we need MediSure's products to be in our clinics. We need the Medi Collective to pull you know, uh, testing products and new testing products in the future or be a source for clinical trials if required um, or pilot certain products in the future. So that, that kind of cross integration is an opportunity for us that we need to leverage and we need to continue to do a better job of that. So one of the keys though, if we were to make this work would be, we have to get a powerful, successful leader for the Medi Collective who has done it before. Um, no experiments, you know, no trials. I this like is, that. you know, absolutely seasoned pro. Um, uh, we, you know, found uh, or landed, actually Carolyn landed on us. It, was, it wasn't kind of, the, it, it was the other way around. Um, we were approached by, um, by a recruiting firm representing um, her and it just sort of was so timely and we started to work on it. And uh, so, you know, we got it in place. Um, she's a tremendous uh, fit to our organization, um, an absolutely uh, talented individual and brings, you know, just tremendous um, uh, experience. She garners respect. Um, she's very likable, um, uh, but, you know, she knows how to get it done. She, she fits our profile. That we see. She, be she does. Like she fits our profile of execution, like get things done and just get your head down and get it done. And so we've been able to sort of move the pieces around a little bit now to position ourselves in a more effective way to grow in 2022 and beyond, recognizing that our core operations of the Medi Collective are in great hands. So let's move on to the Q&A part. Sure. And uh, the first questions uh, comes from Mark A on Agoracom. He's got three. And uh, he's asking first thing about the clinic acquisitions. Is the uh, eight, operate, eight operating clinic acquisitions delay because of the new CFO having to re-review due, due diligence on these? Or, uh, or is it something else? And can shareholders get a maybe a, a firmer date for when each, because there are two transactions there. I think Mark A two has one, yeah. but there are two transactions there. Yeah. Uh, and can you give everyone a, a bit of a firmer date? Yeah, um, it really was not um, a factor of, of Jennifer, our CFO, joining. That didn't create some sort of new undue delay. Um, it's really just deal due diligence and legal due diligence more than anything. So in both cases, so um, it looks, I, I think the way the signatures will go is that it looks as though um, the uh, Northwood Group, which is in Sudbury, Ontario, uh, I know that definitive agreement is, is signing ready now all already. So uh, it you know, won't surprise me if something, you know, uh, firms up on that this week, it's, it's that close. And the, the Thornhill one uh, in, uh, in Greater Toronto area is just like literally right behind it, uh, because the, the, doc, the deal structures are actually quite similar. And so the, the documentation flow kind of just, you know, worked almost in parallel. And it's really, you've just got, you know, individual traits on one transaction versus another, um, which is, you know, legal due diligence. You've got to structure it uh, based on, you know, what you discover through legal due diligence. Um, and, and that's really all that's been going on. 
So I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see some updates or I guess announcements on that actually very quickly. Uh, Cause I just, you know, I know how far the, the definitive agreements are along because I've seen them. And uh, so they're, they're effectively signing ready now. All right. So we're inside of two, three, we're not talking about opinion to a date, but it sounds like we're yeah. like really inside of it, two, three it's, weeks. It's imminent now. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. That's great. Because, you know, again, when there are delays, and especially when you're in a risk-off environment where yeah. Facebook is down 33% a month and Shopify is down 65% in two months, people start getting nervous about whether deals are going to close. So that's sure. that's great to hear. On the new clinic openings, Mark A. asked, shareholders understand delays caused by outside forces that are beyond the control of Empower, especially during COVID. Uh, does Empower have new realistic timelines for new clinic openings? Well, the uh, the big flagship location, uh, which we call Etobicoke Lakeshore. Um, so we were literally, you know, supply chain delayed on that one. We we couldn't get our finishing lumber in. Um, and- Somebody said go to Home Depot. <laughs> you know, not, just go just, to Home Depot. I go, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, it's not not quite that easy. So, um, you know, there's, there's, certain, there's certain configurations that we have um, uh, within our brand. But anyhow, all of those supplies landed um, a couple weeks back. Um, I think there's been a number of photos shared, uh, you know, on the various bulletin boards and maybe social media. Um, you know, you can see all of the signage and graphics are on the facility. And so, you know, as far as I know, again, it's, it's really close now. Um, I haven't had an update you know, since sort of, you know, a week ago, just letting, you know, Carolyn and, and Jordan and Aviv, you know, do their work. But, you know, their stated objectives were to, you know, have this ready for us by the end of February. Um, so that's fast approaching. And then we will really anticipate trying to do another uh, full ribbon cutting ceremony on, on this location. And we'd like to do London, Ontario as well. Um, you know, now that we're seeing perhaps some of the travel restrictions uh, within Canada being eased up a little bit, particularly in Ontario, uh, it wasn't appropriate, you know, previously to, to travel uh, at, at or to get times. groups together. Maybe the, tra the travel even wasn't even the most difficult part is how do no. you justify if your health clinics uh, company to bring together 100 people in one location? Uh, no, we couldn't. We couldn't. So it just, you know, it it's just one of those unfortunate, you know, circumstances that we're all living through the last two years. So we're, you know, I'm excited to, you know, get out and see the locations myself, you know, finished, um, you know, meet the team members and, you know, have a good splash and, and ribbon cutting ceremony and meet, uh, you know, our, our great followers and shareholders. And, you know, maybe we, we, we put together, George, uh, some sort of town hall meeting, you know, in conjunction with it and, yeah. you know, just keep, keep communicating and keep providing updates. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for you to come in, see everybody. We had to do the last one without you, unfortunately. Yeah. And then and then December, Omicron hit. So that was off the yeah. table. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's going to be really exciting. And the last yeah. question from Mark A. And also by Mike Banning and Andrew. So that way we're going to take care of it in one shot is sure. what is the status of the SVH divestment and why is yeah. it taking it so long? Is Steve at liberty to discuss declines, attitudes, or lack of cooperation. Not that there is that, but the, he's asking if, if you're able to talk. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's taken far too long. Uh, it's, you know, frustrating. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm grinding away at it. We, we had a, a format or an approach uh, that uh, we, based on guidance from council, they recommended that 
if we kept going down that path, it would have the potential of creating, you know, long-term liability. And you know, I just don't want us having any, you know, residual liability for the public company over this transaction. So we had to kind of pivot the format, essentially going from a share purchase agreement to an asset sale to help kind of, you know, mitigate any long-term liabilities that you know, could be in place. And, you know, just unfortunately, it's just been a bit of a grind to get through it. And um, how's uh, this so, ETA? Do you have a ballpark ETA? Does, is there light at the end of the tunnel or are you still grinding? There is. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, frankly, you know, I had to really, you know, kind of put my foot down hard uh, on this. And, you know, the, the, the alternative, if it doesn't get signed here in the next, like, literally number of days, um, I will be, I'll take a different position, which is I would just close the remaining locations. Um, like we did in the Pacific Northwest with that last Portland location. Um, we um, have to be fully either divested or out of those forms of clinical services um, for our public company. Uh, it's just something that we, we know has to be done. Uh, and I, and we will, we will, it will bring benefits to us in, in many formats going forward. Uh, it's just, unfortunately, this last little piece um, has taken um, too much uh, of my time and attention, frankly. Um, so um, I've really. But you put your foot down now. There's a line in the sand. There's, uh, there's a line in the sand. And you shut them down, and yeah, that, that's exactly it. And so uh, it's just the, it's it's kind of a harsh reality. Um, I wouldn't normally even talk about a scenario like that, sort of in this this format. Uh, but that's where we are. All right, perfect. And he, and Mark went on to say, "Thank you, George and Steve, for your time. Much appreciated." Uh, next up is Mike Banning. First question. Um, what is the company's cash position? Will there be another raise soon? And when do you project the company to be cash flow positive? I think a lot of those are you can't really talk about because those would be material yeah. uh, without yeah. having a proper press release. So would it be accurate to say company's cash position? He's got to refer to the last financials. Yeah, well, well, exactly. I mean, we're, you know, obviously have started our uh, year end audit. Uh, it's well underway. Um, Jennifer's doing a great job in leading that uh, as a former auditor. Uh, she knows what it's like on both sides. Uh, so uh, that got started sooner with more precision uh, than than in prior years. So I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. Uh, you know, it's not something that I, I can't, you know, comment on the specifics um, of that. You know, we've been we've been able to, you know, have some, you know, have kind of the growth that we're we anticipated. You know, we've got, you know, new clinics that are, you know, we're seeing patients and patients turn into medical billing. Uh, we see, you know, Kai Medical um, having more traction with uh, their services. Uh, we've got the new mobile um, locations in in Texas that have have started now. Um, every time you know, you are to, you know, test um, or provide a vaccination to, uh, to uh, a patient uh, in those locations, that becomes billing. Uh, and it gets into the medical billing cycle, and, and we end up getting paid for that. So I'm, I'm pleased with that. Uh, obviously, the uh, pending Sarah's stuff, uh, you know, doesn't isn't generating, you know, cash flow for us um, today, but it, it sure is not that far away. And then, you know, we, we're not touching much on Metasure in, in this conversation today, but, you know, Metasure are really doing great. Uh, you know, they, they, 
you know, they came on board and they just, they just got it right away. And they outperformed uh, our expectations um, for the first six months and had a nice fourth quarter. They, that momentum has continued. They've got new products coming to market. You know, we announced the vitamin D test. We've, we've already paid for that inventory that's coming over right now. Um, we're in conversations with all the various um, uh, pharmacy partners, you know, that, that we all know. And we're getting great feedback on that product set. We've got their new uh, diabetes uh, blood glucose monitor uh, coming to market here uh, in the second quarter, I believe, also. And then we've got our Health Canada uh, pending approval for our own rapid antigen test. Um, but they're also helping us on the whole concept of warehousing and 3PL. And uh, we just um, received 200,000 uh, rapid antigen tests. Uh, so we have those in inventory. Now, a, lot of, a bunch of those were already pre-sold. Uh, so we are seeing some nice uh, revenues and cash flow coming in from this new service of rapid antigen test selling of kits. And a lot of that is primarily going through the uh, pharmacy networks. And uh, so we've got another 200,000 units on the ground uh, that we're selling right now. And uh, so if anybody, you know, wants some rapid antigen test kits or, or, or has referrals, uh, we have inventory. And, you know, I, I think everybody may know that most of the Canadian inventory got scooped up in January um, by government. Um, and so we had to, you know, go find some alternate, you know, sources of Health Canada approved product. Uh, but it's on the ground right now, available for sale. And uh, Medisure are doing a great job on helping not only sell them through their own brand, uh, but facilitate the orders and the collection of cash. And we are seeing some nice cash flow coming back in um, from that um, through our Kai Canada division. So fair to say, by summertime, when you when you talk about the acquisitions being closed, Sarah is in full full mode by you know June, uh, May, June, July. It's going to be in full mode. Oh, yeah. uh, Metasure, it sounds like cash flow positivity is probably not going to be a problem at that point. Well, that that's what one would think. So you know we don't have enough data in hand uh, to you know put that date. You know, in you know, line in the sand in the future. Now Jennifer is working, you know, very sophisticated uh, cash flow models for each of her divisions, and then rolling that up uh, into you know an overall cash flow model, and considering you know the new opportunities that are coming our way. But you know, you look at uh, you know, you take the two acquisitions that are pending. You know, these are these groups. You know, each do 4.1, 4.2 million in top line right now, and that's just providing um, primary care services. It's not adding in the additional types of services that the Medic Collective as a group wants to provide, right? Paramedical services. And, and we ultimately really like the specialty services like, you know, teledermatology with Medex Health. And we like cardiology. We like nephrology. So a lot more to come on that. And, uh, and, and Tony Tomasello, um, you know, definitely is uh, going to help us in some of those key specialties because areas that uh, he's already heavily involved in. Next question is, how's the 2021 uh, audit come along? Will Q4 and 2021 statements be released on time? As most of us know, last year, there was a significant delay, but that was for good reason, because you made two fantastic acquisitions that happened to place, take place in Q4 at the very, very end, and you didn't have a CFO. So how does the 2021 uh, financial year and audit looking? 
Yeah, good. As I said, uh, we, we got an early start. Uh, Jennifer is an absolute pro at this. Um, you know, no excuses for, for what happened last year. It doesn't matter acquisitions are late or not. Um, no excuses. So, you know, we've got to get it done and get it done on time. We, we changed a lot of uh, aspects of our audit team approach this year. Uh, we moved it all to Vancouver. Um, uh, out of Toronto, uh, we're already seeing a material improvement in communication and turnaround time. It was one of the key factors um, in in our decisions about uh, audit. Right. And uh, so, time zone, just those two. Oh ones. yeah, yeah, and it's just it's just resources being able to work more closely together. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we're seeing you know a lot of improvement already. I can I can see the the speed of responsiveness on both sides from from our side and also uh, with our audit team and audit partners. So, so, so far, so good, right? I, I don't, there's nothing um, that's been brought to my attention that would indicate a delay. And you got a great CFO who, yeah. no offense to you, is probably a lot better doing this than, than you are, <laughs> and me, right? Than any of us when you have a fantastic hey, CFO. Hey, uh, a lot better, a lot better. I'm, I'm going to have, uh, uh, the, my speed of gray hair is, uh, is being reduced as we speak. Uh, Banning goes on to ask, what's going on with Kai and its lackluster performance? What does Kai look like in a post-COVID world? Yeah, so, um, you know, they, I felt, were not performing well enough. Um, and I, you know, I'm I, I obviously not going to share the conversations, but, it, you know, we, we've had some stern conversations uh, about this performance. And... I think that translated into, you know, the new, some of the new opportunities that came our way uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, the the Gala Games conference that they did in in uh, Las Vegas was highly successful. Um, we've been fully paid out uh, on that opportunity, and uh, it also became a good framework. And I think it demonstrated to the team at Kai is that you know what they can do this if if they set their minds to it. They're as good as anybody out there. Uh, but you've got to have a business development mindset to go win the opportunities. And that really led to, you know, these new mobile sites um, that have been put up. Um, we're, we're starting them in Texas, but, you know, we're looking, you know, closely and seriously about other states, uh, starting with Tennessee and Arkansas. Um, but we certainly need to know, um, can we handle these four? Uh, in, in Texas. It's a huge market. Uh, it's right in the backyard of, of Kai Medical. So, you know, I'm looking for them to uh, continue to fill capacity in the lab. To answer the question post-COVID, we've been working on this, you know, for quarters now. Uh, as I've said before, we're working on the development of a multitude of direct-to-consumer testing products that have nothing to do with COVID-19. And so the key ones that we're starting with um, are really think around, uh, these are blood spot uh, based tests, um, self-administered at home, return to the lab for processing. Uh, think of, you know, women's health, men's health, different disease states. Uh, I think the pipeline uh, on the initial uh, group of products is nine different versions. Uh, all again, using existing machinery that we have in the lab, but uh, not molecular testing, but actually blood-based testing. So we anticipate diversification. Uh, one of my concerns always, and, and it was the same as I looked at MetaSure. My concern with MetaSure 
the same concern at Kai Medical is concentration risk. And it's incumbent upon us as a leadership team and a board to recognize where concentration risk might exist and then determine what you might do about it. Now, COVID-19 testing and, and protocols may be with us for many years for all we know. Uh, we certainly anticipate that you know, the fourth uh, you know, vaccine boosters are coming. I was watching you know, uh, British news uh, uh, earlier um, and uh, they're about to announce you know, fourth booster shot. Uh, so I, I would anticipate that that type of protocol is coming, you know, really in, in all, all parts of the world. So we don't know how long that's going to, uh, COVID-19 aspects will be with us, but I do believe that we have to plan for a time when maybe that revenue cycle diminishes and we must have, um, uh, you know, more diversified revenue cycles. So you see it in MediSure already. That's diversification out yeah. of diabetes, but leveraging their amazing skill with Health Canada, their amazing capability as a medical device company, and their incredible capabilities to do warehousing, packaging, and distribution. So uh, again, that's about alleviating a potential concentration risk. And in their case, it was you know, medical diabetes product. So we diversified right. that. And Michael Schmidt also, thanks, Michael. For, he had also submitted a question about Kai and how it was doing. So uh, I won't ask that again, but I want to just acknowledge Michael for posting that uh, for posting that on Twitter. Thank you. When, Mike goes on to ask, when you expect expansion to the U.S.? Um, I mean, it's it's really, you know, 2022. If I mean, we're we're obviously we're already in the U.S. We're obviously changing a, a few things in our footprint, but uh, we we are already in due diligence on a multitude of US-based opportunities. Uh, so, you know, we we knew that we had to- There's a reason to, for Tomasello. There's a reason for, for Anthony, that's correct. And, um, and there's a reason for the organizational adjustments to free up Jordan Aviv to, you know, further develop these pipelines. Like and so all of these kind of, you know, moves, um, give us the ability to focus with purpose on U.S. opportunities, new U.S. opportunities. Um, what they look like, you know, time will tell. I mean, I, I know what we're looking at and, and kind of the direction we're, we're sending our guys along in. Um, but as, as, the, as they, you know, as they're ready for prime time, of course, we'll announce them. Um, but be assured um, that work and those conversations are, are already started and are already taking place. And last question from Mike, and I'm not sure I agree with the premise, but you know, we'll ask it. Why do you keep over-promising and under-delivering? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know that that's completely factual. Um, I, you know, we, we're doing our best out there. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a fun, it's a funny, uh, it's a funny kind of, kind of world, right. You know, that we live in, I'm, I'm talking about public company life, you know, um, if, if we, if we have a week or two weeks where where we don't have news, then uh, people seem to get upset with us. And then if we if we have too much news, then then people just say, oh, you know, it's just noise. Um, so it's it's a fine balance. I think what we're doing in 2022 is we're we're kind of taking the position that you know we'll probably have less um, sort of ongoing you know press releases and, and really try to focus. Uh, on, on more substantial and, and substance-based 
Uh, and that will really be a reason why, you know, maybe we see, you know, some, some gaps uh, in, in sort of news flow or communication. Um, there's, there's no shortage of, of work and opportunity, you know, that, that we have. Uh, I think that we're doing one heck of a job. Uh, I see how dedicated and how hardworking our team members are uh, each and every day. And uh, I think if you start to add up our divisions and what they might represent here in 2022, I think we might all look back and go, you know, that's pretty darn good work um, in such a short period of time. Uh, and, you know, this stuff just doesn't happen overnight. Um, and I know everybody likes things to go faster, uh, but I think we're doing a pretty good job at, at, at setting up that growth potential at, so that we can see these opportunities and, and our sort of healthcare structure will start to see that really large increase in top line and, and then eventually, you know, positive free cash flow over time. Um, but, you know, the pieces certainly seem to be in place, uh, in my opinion. Uh, our leadership team uh, agrees, um, our board of directors agree. Uh, and so, I, I got to tell you, that, I agree, and not just because we're here, but I've been doing this for 25 yeah. years and growth companies have uh, staggered growth. It doesn't just doesn't move. You're not IBM. You're not a bank where you can just, you know, you can project every move for the next 12, 24 months. It's staggered. But uh, do, do, do things happen slower? Yeah. I laugh sometimes. <laughs> I look online and say, and I see questions or criticism of you, not very often, but when I see it, it's, What's taking so long? How hard can it be to do that thing? <laughs> I laugh. I say, hey, come yeah, on, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, I know well, you're you know impatient. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, uh, doing deals um, is difficult. Um, yeah, the hardest part about doing deals is getting um, uh, pen to paper on both parties at the same time on the same document. Uh, that is an art in itself. Um, the the ninety five percent of upfront work and due diligence, you know, a lot of folks do that. Um, what I've always been uh, good at, um, and I, I carry that through to what we're doing in power, is getting both of those pens to paper uh, at the same time. And it's not always a straight line. Sometimes, you know, deals kind of go off the rails, you got to figure out how to get back on the rails. And, and sometimes they just, they run so smoothly. Um, you don't have to worry about a thing, it gets done, and you're like, great, and, and then we move on. But that's not always like that. And I'm going to move on to the next question with this first. When I, uh, I I said this to somebody just the other day, I said, hey, you and your wife or you with your buddies, how long sometimes does it take to set up a dinner with somebody that you really want to get together with and you want to get together next Friday? It doesn't work for them. They're saying two weeks from now, it doesn't work for you. And that's just trying to get together for dinner, right? Yeah. So how about when you're trying to get an acquisition done, right? And like you said, pen and paper at the same time, because- uh, Empower might be trying to acquire Agoracom. And I say, yeah, Steve, that'd be a great idea. Let's do it. But for the next three months, I'm focused on launching a new initiative. So I'm saying, can you wait three months? And, you know, by, and, and, and then you're going to say, well, George, I could, but then I'm going to be in the middle of my Sarah's partnership and I'm not going to have a lot of time to focus on you. Yeah. So that's just the reality, right? Which is even if you and I want to get some, not by the way, not that Empower is buying Agoracom, but even if you and I want to do that, right? getting pen to paper at the same time. So everybody, patience sometimes. It's different if Steve comes on and says, hey, our, our, our LOI to acquire Agoracom or Georgecom has failed. 
that's a different story. There's some explaining to do what happened, but if it takes a little time, it takes a little time. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of add perspective there that it's hard enough to get people going out to dinner on the same Friday night. So put that in perspective. We talk about two people who don't know each other, trying to merge their companies or getting them M&A going. David Young on Twitter. Will Kai labs be handling ship testing in Vancouver? Uh, no. Um, Kai, Kai medical out of uh, the United States is a U.S. company. Their accreditations and certifications um, are, are as a CLIA and COLA uh, U.S.-based medical laboratory. The products that they use, um, other than our uh, saliva-based uh, PCR test, um, are not authorized for use in Canada uh, under uh, interim order. So it's kind of a like, straightforward answer. Um, we have a division in Canada called Kai, uh, Kai, uh, Kai Medical Canada, um, that is a, uh, an entity that we use for um, the uh, import and sale of, of uh, rapid antigen test kits. We also use Metasure. Um, but the, the CERES overall you know, program or relationship is with Empower Clinics and how we determine uh, to best utilize our various divisions, their capabilities and their resources you know, is, is up to us to determine. Um, I'm just grateful that we have those key diversities to fall back on um, and expertise to use. And it was one of the reasons, again, why you know, we're, we were even at the table on this conversation is because of the diverse healthcare capabilities that we have within our entire network. Jay Wilkinson on Twitter and the last two people, Steve. Jay Wilkinson on Twitter, how many doctors will be on board by the end of 2022? Again, that may be a bit of a projection yeah. uh, that you may not be able to give, uh, but still. Well, I, I can give, I can give some, I can give some context near term if that helps. So um, uh, assuming that we uh, get the uh, two clinic group acquisitions closed here in, in the near future, post-closing, uh, I believe the number is that we would have actually 75 medical doctors, um, you know, on staff in our portfolio and uh, well in excess of 200 staffers uh, just in Canada and actually just in Ontario, um, just based on, um, so let, you know, let's say, you know, by the time we get out of the uh, first quarter um, of this year, that's kind of what the profile looks like. Uh, then depending on the continued organic growth openings, uh, which will continue, you know, throughout uh, 2022. That's always going to add medical doctors and, and other, you know, techs and practitioners. And, uh, and then, you know, we have the network, you know, whatever we do in the US, obviously that's going to impact, you know, our medical doctor, you know, I guess, population. But, you know, it's pretty substantial already. And that's why, you know, the decision to, you know, be able to bring on a Carolyn Shields, Very you know, important. again, is just so important, right? Like, this is not like you're, you know, you're like a mom and pop, you know, you know, small clinic is, you know, we're, we're now a clinic group um, with many hundreds of, of employees and, you know, you know, well on our way to north of 100 uh, medical doctors and uh, 800,000 patient roster. Finally, Mike Waugh has uh, just updates on three things. First of all, how is medics performing in the clinics? 
Uh, you mean Medex, Medex, uh, Medex Health, uh, teledermatology? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a bit early, you know, to sort of put out stats right now. Um, I don't, I don't have them at fingertips. Uh, I, I'd say Carolyn and Jordan Aviv are going to be better uh, on that. Uh, certainly, we could provide an update, you know, in the, in the next little while. I think uh, we can get, you know, Mike from uh, Medex Health and even myself, and just to talk about how it's going. Uh, I believe I saw uh, some recent updates on social media about. I believe it's four locations that they're announcing where where uh, the teledermatology service uh, will will be up and uh, up and running. I know at least of one or two locations where the service is already uh, um, operational. So uh, just uh, let us get some stats on that. Um, I, I don't have them at at, uh, at present, but it's a, it's a great topic and a great question. Um, and we'll we'll come back to everybody with some updates. Plus, I've got to think December, January, February, plus layer Omicron shutdowns and you know and and people pulling back that you, you probably it's not you probably don't have enough of a data set there and you really want to you probably want to get more data when things are more open and flowing and even the weather being a little yeah. better right you know how many people yeah i mean well the, you know the data is the data so i mean you know what whatever the circumstances are that either slow it down or delay something you know the the, the data is still the data so we can we can definitely get some updates on that and say yeah okay you know do we think it's a good baseline or not um what's the feedback from the patients what is the feedback from the medical doctors what's the feedback from carolyn um on on the service update on the referral program with air canada yeah so i mean that came to a standstill with the um the health canada matters that we had to work through uh the program with with air canada uh was set up for u.s travelers only uh coming into who, who would need a uh, access to a test to come come into canada and uh, so, you know, I, I think that overall, um, I don't think there was a lot of traffic, uh, generally speaking, there. Uh, and now with the recent um, updates from uh, Canada uh, on the uh, testing requirements to come into Canada with a PCR test uh, no longer being required, I believe it's as of March 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bake in anything related to that Air Canada referral program. And finally, update on the performance of KaiTests.ca. Uh, KaiTests.ca, uh, same thing. It, it was uh, pending reactivating, so we 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 it was active, but you couldn't process a purchase uh, because we had to work through Health Canada updates. We got all of that done. Uh, we had uh, inventory in Canada. Uh, I know we had a big order of a thousand units that just went out uh, a couple weeks back. Um, so some good business there. And uh, right now, I think it's sort of a let's let's step back and take a look at what we do um, with the KaiTest.ca um, as it relates to um, the uh, saliva-based PCR tests. Now, keep in mind those platforms, whether it's KaiTest.com or KaiTest.ca, was always intended to be a diversified platform for a sure. multiple multitude of tests. So we would, as an example, expect in Canada, uh, you know, the forms of uh, like the new Metasure um, uh, rapid uh, vitamin test, so the rapid vitamin D test is a product that should be made available in kitest.ca. 
right? The platforms are there. It's meant to be a platform for diversified direct-to-consumer testing products, not just a singular uh, COVID-19 test. Steve, an hour and five minutes into it, and it was it was awesome. Uh, thanks to everyone who who uh, submitted great questions, yeah. even some hard hitting ones. Uh, I uh, and nothing was deleted. Uh, so what I love about this is we presented Steve with the questions. I, you didn't even know the question in advance, right? No, no, uh, no advance notice of the questions. So uh, you know the for, the format's good, right? It's it's free flowing. Uh, you know I'm typically pretty good with the details on, on kind of what's going on uh, within our organization. And, uh, you know, this again, George, thank you. It's a great forum. Uh, you know, I enjoy talking about the complexities, the nuances, the exciting things, the difficult things, you know, it's, it, it's not always perfect. Uh, you know, we, we're just, we're trying to get better every day. We're trying to fill gaps every day. Um, but, you know, everybody has my commitment that we are working just tirelessly for on behalf of everybody. And I hope that some of these recent announcements, which are really appointments, are starting to make sense for everybody. Yeah, the picture, and, the chess moves are starting to show the strategy. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's where he's going on the chessboard. But by the way, Steve, when you say that too about, you know, not everything is perfect. One thing I've also learned is that the biggest companies in the world, we think everything is just perfect. They got all the money in the world. They got all the manpower they need. And that's not the case, right? They're always putting out fires. There's always something that's not quite the way it should be. And they need to make changes and things like that. So yeah. uh, if it happens with the Fortune 500, it's going to happen with Empower. It happens with the Gorecom. It just happens, right? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, that's that's no uh, that's reality. Yeah, that's that's reality, right? And so, you know, we we live, you know, I live with that reality every single day. And, and so does our team. And and you know we we have to, we we balance the demands of you know public markets and capital markets and our followers with uh, the demand uh, and responsibility to build a great company, and uh, and and kind of figure out how to get those two working together at all times. Um, and as you said earlier, it's not always a straight line up. Um, you know it it, it ebbs and Never. flows. And uh, but you know we get it and we understand it and you know we we kind of you know, we know what we're doing. And uh, we also are bringing uh, great talent to our team uh, to help us, right, help us get better as a collective as a group. And I'm going to leave it last word to you. How great do you feel? It's uh, you know, third week of February. How good do you feel when you look forward to the end of 2022? How positive? How confident are you in the success of the of, of the company? Yeah, you know, I'm, I, Look, I'm 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 really happy with where we're going. You know, I I I have a lot of clarity uh, about where we are and and where we're going and where we need to be. And I've got a team uh, that you know works with us that has complete belief and faith in you know the business model that we're building. Uh, they bring tremendous feedback, tremendous insights. They 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 push back when necessary. Uh, we debate all the time. Um, you know, we have an inclusive environment uh, in, in how we decision make. And uh, again, I think it's why we're attracting such great talent to us uh, is that I think we're building something special. And to answer your question, so, you know, I am really confident about what our 2022 looks like. We got a heck of a lot of work to do, but I tell you what, I think we've put a really strong base 
in place yeah. uh, that we can continue to build upon. All right. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Uh, always appreciate you, it. Look, you know, and more than our and, and not very many CEOs do it. And the fact that you do it, you engage, uh, communicate is, uh, is, is such a big level of confidence for me, because if someone's hiding, they're hiding. Right. And when you're out engaging and answering questions, it means that things are going pretty well. Thanks for joining us, buddy. And can't wait to have you back. Thank you, George. Appreciate your time. For everybody at home, you've been watching or listening to CEO Steve McCauley on uh, podcasts, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, Google, or favorite podcast platform. He's a CEO of Empower Clinics, trades in Canada under CBDT for our friends in the US, EPWCF, and even for our great supporters in Europe, 8EC on Frankfurt. If you believe in the future of healthcare, if you believe in the future of, uh, of, of this company after you've heard what they've had to say, then go to your due diligence get to the profile of the GORCOM, then from there, hop over to the Empower Clinics website, do your deep dive due diligence. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. See you next time. Hey guys, this video is over, but don't forget to help your company by liking it and even leaving a comment below. And then don't forget to help yourself by subscribing to our channel and never missing another great GORCOM small cap video.